GM Podcast. I'm Josh Mosco with a very special guest today, our very own colleague from Sports Illustrated, Jacob Lewis Fisher. Jacob, how you doing? That's not my name, and I'm not your colleague. <laughs> All right, let's take two. Let's take two. Now, so there's a ton going on in the Sixers world. Obviously, a 130-111 to 111 win over the Magic the other night was a great win. They improved to 11-7 and seven and are currently in the fifth spot in the East. Uh, with just one game out of second place, um, obviously following the Celtics. Um, so we have a ton to discuss, anywhere from the Sixers team, uh, you know, shooting the ball 38%, Rob in particular shooting 46%, um, and Bede's improvement with, uh, in rebounding this season, um, Jaleel Okafor's situation. So, Jake, what's, let's just start from uh, your initial impression of these first 18 games. I didn't expect them to shoot the ball as well. I mean, you thought that Reddick and Covington would be able to be a nice complimentary piece on the wing uh, around Embiid and Ben Simmons. But when when Dara Sarge inserted it, like, I mean, the coaching staff obviously made the choice to put him there, but he, he played his own way into the starting lineup. And when when that move was made, I didn't expect him to be able to contribute to the three-point attack around those two guys in the middle, too. I mean, he's shooting 35% from deep, which, right. I mean, that was that was the big – that was probably – I mean, the two big concerns with Sarge coming over um, from Europe was his athleticism, where who is he going to guard defensively, right. and his shooting. And both of those haven't really been a problem, both defensively – and shooting from deep. So, in factor all that in, I did not expect them to just be at. They're one of the they're one of the elite three point shooting teams in the entire NBA, and that's right. not something I think anybody expected. And what what the hell is going on with uh, Rob's forty six percent? Is that something that's sustainable, or do you think that's just due to the fact that we have played eighteen of eighty two games? I think he. I think it's sustainable for him to shoot over forty percent. I do. He's been that level of shooter for a while and it just when he was taking contested threes at the end of at the end of the shot clock for three for the last three years you know that obviously impacted his, his performance and now he's getting wide open looks as the ball swings to him on the weak side he's taking some contested shots as well but having all that action stemmed from you know whether it's Simmons going in isolation a high screen and roll feeding it to Embiid on the block or the elbow. I mean, they don't run anything for Covington. They run action for J.J. off of right. screens. So he's getting these shots just in the flow of the offense. Right. So I don't, I don't really think there's any reason to suspect that, that'll, that, that, that that won't continue. Right, which is exciting too because unlike the Sixers of the past three seasons, you don't need to uh, expect one player. I mean, obviously you have Embiid and Simmons who are there if you need to have some playmaker, but... Uh, it opens up opportunities when you're able to have a system that naturally finds Covington in the corner or even top of the key um, and isn't the focal point of the offense. So, um, yeah, great. Moving on, um, ton of concerns uh, around Fultz, obviously, his injury, uh, his energy level, his, um, his chances of people writing him off as you know, an NBA player. What's your impression of what's happened so far, and do you have any idea of some sense of time uh, when he'll be back, timeline. Well, as a person currently dealing with a shoulder injury myself, 
Um, these things take time. The, the shoulder is a really complicated um, – I'm not a doctor, but I've spent the last nine, ten weeks in physical therapy on my shoulder. Um, and I can tell you from experience, the shoulder is a really complicated area. There's multiple muscle regions that intersect with the biceps. And you have – people just think your pecs are as, as one muscle, but you have your pec minor and your pec major and there's your scapula on the back that they all intersect and they intertwine and they impact each other. Plus, you have your lats and your traps. It's really complicated. And one part of that whole region could be flaring up and you pay attention to that thing and you fix that issue. But in the process, you kind of strain something else. So – to me, this is from my personal experience. This is not that much of a concern, and also from taking the pulse from people around the around the team and around the league, it doesn't seem like there's much concern internally either. I think in in the era that we live in, the fact that social media can really blow a story out of proportion pretty quickly with the with memes and gifs and everything like that. Every little every little thing he does that isn't a big step forward and a net positive is going to be taken as a drastic net negative. So the fact that he was shooting left-handed at practice one day, you know, how many times do we see guys shooting in a chair when they're foot when they're when they're, they have a broken foot or they have a torn ACL? It's the same exact thing. Right. Guys want to get on the floor and want to put up shots. He can't put up shots with his shooting hand. So he's going to put up shots with his other hand just to get back in the gym and get the ball in his hand to get the feel for it. But that takes on a whole life of its own and snowballs into, oh, my God, he's trying to switch hands. So I think that whole nature of you know the sports media landscape has unfortunately um, blown in out of proportion. I, I think, they're, I think they're, after all that happened, though, and the way that they've ha- had negative PR response to injuries in the past – I think they just decided to take it extra precautiously, and uh, that's why we haven't seen him on the court yet. But he'll be back, and he'll be fine. Okay. Yeah, it's it's good to hear that you're also able to relate to the same injury that Markel's going through so that way you can provide insight based on actual experience <laughs> and not just talking to professionals. Um, yeah, you talked a little bit about how Dario is sort of coming into his own and isn't uh, and is perhaps uh, living up to the hype I could see a world where Rashawn um, and Dario can fill the role that Amir Johnson's currently playing, and Robert can step into a role that JJ's playing and relinquish uh, the Sixers of their $34 million uh, cap that they're currently paying those guys and assuming they'd make that or a similar amount of money next year. Do you think that's a realistic situation where you could use some combination of Rashawn and Dario to replace Amir Johnson, and you could replace Covington or another guy in free agency to replace Reddick. Yeah, Rashawn is a definitely a player that that the, that the coaching staff in the front office have been bullish on, but they've certainly kept that in, in, in realistic proportion. Um, he, for, he's just been he's been a small sample size guy, and. There's, he has also had his own battle of injuries. So to be able to, to commit to him right now as your backup center for the long term, I don't know if that's necessarily possible to be able to do that confidently. But he certainly has the skill set and, and, and the and ability the to do that and the hair. Yeah, um, yeah they'd be, it'd be really interesting to see them start using some smaller lineups with Sarge and, and Simmons as the 4-5. Um, but 
I, I think it's really possible that, that Redick uh, stays on and signs for a longer-term deal for, for less money, maybe like a two-year, $24 million type of contract or, or something uh-huh. a, little, a little higher, um, maybe more in the 15, uh, 15 a year range. But, yeah, I, Covington's not that player. He's, he, he, he can't rock it off screens like that. He's, a, he's, the same, he's a, that same type of shooter. But in terms of that efficiency and volume, but he 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 doesn't really move as well, and sh- and shoot as well off the catch or, or, or off the run, uh, like Redick does. And he's there's there's very few people in the history of the league who've been able to rock it off of pin downs and sprint to the opposite corner and and catch and shoot and fire within a second and have it be no problem. I mean, how many times do you see Redick, you know, catch the ball on the move and his entire body is almost perpendicular to the ground, but he still gets it off and it looks pretty good. Right. There's not. There's very few people who can do that. So, I, I I don't I don't really think, especially with what he's what he's provided with this team. I mean, he's he's putting up 16 a game, which it's something to slouch at. I mean, for his career, he's been right around that mark, um, at least since his rookie season. But. That's a really, really, really key contribution to this team. He's the third leading scorer, which is nothing to slouch at. Um, And he plays good defense, and he is an overall just veteran presence. He's he's been there before. He's been in playoff games. Obviously, the Clippers didn't win anything, but he he made a finals appearance with the Magic, and that's going to be really important for this team moving forward as they progress deeper and deeper into the playoffs. And I think that's that's a guy that you want to have around. Long term, and based off of the body language that I've seen, I, I haven't talked to Reddick since uh, when I sat down with him in the preseason. But I would imagine that on the way they're playing, based off of the expectations that he had when I talked to him, then um, this is right around those expectations, if not exceeding them. So I, I, I would imagine that he'd be open to staying in Philly long term, especially being that his family uh, is based out of Brooklyn, New York. Um, which, I think this is a great place for him long term. Which might be the only other team to actually be able to provide a twenty-four million dollar or willing to take a twenty-four million dollar, uh, you know, cap hit on on him if he can somehow prove this season that he's worth that same amount of money. Well, his his cap hold has that money on it, right? The second he signs a new deal, that cap hold evaporates and his hit on the cap becomes his new salary. Right, so. right, right. right. So, so that's what I'm saying is that to get a similar contract, $23 million next season, you know. He's not going to get that, but yeah. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. I, I don't think he will, but if he is, I think Brooklyn would be one of the, you know, maybe two, three other teams that could, could do that. But yes, I agree. I don't think he'll do that. Uh, he'll get that. Uh, switching up a little bit, Embiid, we talked about, um, you know, his performance thus far. I know last season he was averaging – under eight rebounds a game this season, he's above eleven. Um, you know, talk me, walk, walk me through what changed this season. I just think it's more minutes. I think that's pretty much it. He's playing thirty a game, and last year he was not. That's pretty much what I think it comes down to, right? Okay. He was playing twelve minute stretches, right, um, for a long, long time. I mean, he's playing five minutes a game this year, five more minutes a game this year, and. He's seven foot two. He said that on SportsCenter, right? I'm a seven two and pretty big dude. No one wants to step to me. That's pretty much every rebound in the paint. So, right. two more minute, two more rebounds per five minutes. I mean, that makes that makes a lot of sense. All right. Cool. Uh, a couple final questions for you before we wrap it up, because obviously want to keep this short with a lot of football going on today. 
Um, one is around Korkmaz, so is shooting a solid 100% from the free throw. Um, <laughs> but obviously that's due to a lack of, product, of, uh, of quantity of free throws. But um, lack, lack of substantial quantity, excuse me. Why do you think uh, they've put him, placed him in such a limited role? Um, I know he got a few minutes at the end of the Orlando game and seen, uh, I saw a couple of minutes at the end of the Blazers game. And um, I know the Sixers have uh, a, lot of, a, lot, a lot more depth this season than they did last season. But I think that um, maybe not at this point in the season, but they were more willing to... Uh, take a chance on TLC and to see what he was able to provide. Whereas now I think it seems like they're almost being, they're almost sheltering uh, Cork Maz. Well, it's a two part answer. The first one you already touched on, who's he going to play over? Right. The second thing is he's barely 200 pounds soaking wet. He, he needs to really take this time and they're, and they're, and they're, they're being smart about it. They're sending him down to Delaware to, to get game reps in the meantime that he's not playing, uh, up with the big club and they're working on his body every day. And that's going to be really important for him come this time next season. I mean, after watching Luau last year, would you have thought that he'd be contributing to this team on the level he is right now? No. And he's put in the work physically, you know, he's really put on some, some muscle and he's definitely hot and cold, but his, his strokes a lot better there. It took him a little while to find the range and, Defensively, he's caught up to the, the pace of the game. Korkmaz really struggled with that aspect uh, in Vegas this summer, and that's the speed of the game out there is nothing compared to an NBA regular season game. Right. So it just it's just going to be a learning curve for him. Right, I agree. All right, two final questions for you. One related to injuries. Second one related to our good friend Sam Hinky. Um, one so on injuries. First of all, I don't think there's any injury going on with Jalil Okafor. I think that's all BS. Um, similarly, Stauskas, I think they are also being overprotective. You know, I use that. Um, I emphasize that intentionally. But I, I think once again, they're trying to see if they can gauge any value, uh, any trade value, rather than just cutting these two guys. Uh, is that a realistic possibility, or do you think there is truly an injury with both of them? They're at the point in the rotation where the second there's a, even a, a opportunity to trade them, and the moment they have even a tweak, yeah, it makes sense to not play them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I wouldn't say they're. I mean, they're not. They're not going out and saying that they have any catastrophic injury where they need to rest for multiple weeks, right? It's right. kind of a day-to-day situation. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know that they're. I haven't heard that they're making calls on Stauskas. Um, they might be trying to attach him to Okafor to help move him. Right. Um, that's very possible. I don't know that for certain, but it would make sense. And especially the fact that Brett Brown took a special effort, honestly, to help improve Stauskas' game heading into last season. You know, he showed him all that tape of Monty Ginobili, and he was working with him one on one, and never really saw much of an improvement. He did improve. Mm-hmm. But he never really saw much of an improvement. I think the fact that now he's slipped out of the rotation completely, right. I think, is a sign that that Brown hasn't really viewed him as one of the, as one of the guys to build around here for the future. Right, and I think in a very small way, it's telling that these were the two guys who had dramatic weight changes on the team. You know, Nick obviously bulking and and 
and, and uh, Okafor, you know, going vegan or whatever. Um, do you think, A, that Okafor plays another game for the, the Sixers? And B, would you take a second round pick for either of these guys? To me, neither has any real value at all. So, yeah, second round pick is better. It would be more value than waving them. I would, I, I would, I would offer, if I was Brian Clangelo, I would have given Okafor a buyout two weeks ago. I, um, I would have bought him out before before training camp even started. There's there's clearly no market for him, and it's partially the way that he's being used. I mean, there's no there's no sample size of him on the court. But why that makes not, him why worth not, anything more? Why not try him with the rotation? Obviously, you can't play him with Embiid. We know that from the last season. Because he because he kills you defensively, man. There's he's not a he's not a player you win with right now on the court. He is a net negative on the floor, and th- those are players that teams who are trying to make the playoffs can't play. Right. It's as simple as that. Right. I'm just so curious. Like I know, obviously, Fultz isn't playing now, but if you could pair him with a Covington and with a uh, a Simmons, and I say A in front of both of them because I'm sure you know it would be interesting also with Redick or it would also be interesting with uh, maybe not Dario, but even Amir Johnson. You don't think there's any chance that his offensibility could be something that surpasses our expectation to the point where he might be able to work on his defense? No matter what he does offensively, it will never be able to, in my opinion, it will never be able to, uh, unless you pair him with a defensive freak at the four, which Ben Simmons is starting to grow into. Um it's going to be very, it's going to be very, very, very difficult for his offensive ability to counteract and over and and make his how bad his defense is and make him an overall net positive on both sides of the floor. It's just the fact, the position that he plays, you can't hide him defensively. He's not like he's not like a guard. He's not he's not a Steph Curry who you can put on the, on the weaker guard who now doesn't even he doesn't even do that anymore because now he's he's been engaged defensively he's a big man who has to guard a big man and smart teams will target that big man in pick and rolls at play after play after play after play right and it's hard it's hard to do that um it's hard it's hard to suffer that 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 problem um and continue to win i mean it happened with the boston celtics right with isaiah thomas um before last season when they you know really found a defensive identity the year before that in 2015-16, the Atlanta Hawks dispatched them easily because they just put Thomas in pick and roll after pick and roll, and he couldn't guard anybody that they isolated. Right. So it's the same exact thing. As good as – I mean, they were they were able to build something around him, um, but he's a guard. He's a lot easier to, to, to put him off guys who won't be used in pick and roll actions. Right. It's, just, it's, it's really difficult to do that with a center in today's NBA. Right. All right, um, so last two quick hitters. One, um, like I was saying before, uh, does Okafor play another game with the Sixers? Sure. Sure, okay. Uh, there's going to be a back-to-back with Embiid at some point, and he can't play, and they're going to need a body, that type of thing. Okay. Why not? I, I just think that something's going to happen in the next few weeks, whether they find a second-round pick for him you know, in a pair with Stauskas or with a Bayless or whoever, uh, or they buy him out. But, um, yeah, okay. He would, love to, he would love to be bought out, man. If they offered him a buyout right now, he would take it. So. And there, are there any good fits you see after, you know, if he does get a buyout? 
if I was the Bulls, I would try him out. Uh, he's a hometown kid. Sometimes that works out. I mean, they're clearly one of the one of, if not the worst teams in the league, uh-huh. and they have a vacuum of opportunity to at least give him. So why not? Not Atlanta. I think Atlanta is is more of a perimeter based offense, and he does not fit their current scheme. He could pull. He could pull up from three. But. If you say so. <laughs> uh, all right, final question for you. As you know, Sixers GM has a lot of loyal Sixers fans who have been with the team through the you know forty seven and one ninety five bout with Sam Hinkie. You know, like you and I used to talk back in twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen, and I would watch you know the games in Paris when they went ten and seventy two back in twenty fifteen. Uh, we have some loyal fans who are a bit frustrated as to all the bandwagon fans. As a loyal Sixers fan yourself, do you have any advice to give to these fans as they deal with all the people who pretend to be real fans? I don't know if I'm a Sixers fan anymore, honestly. (laughs) But what I would say is it doesn't matter. You, You root for sports as an escape from reality, and it's entertainment. So if you're happy with it, and you're enjoying your team, sit back and watch the basketball and don't care about anything else. That's right. pretty much it. And know in your heart that you put in the time to get there, and it's okay if no one else acknowledges that. Uh, final question now, now that you said you're not a Sixers fan, why why are you no longer a Sixers fan? You spend four years looking at uh, uh, what's, at the end of the day, a business as a science experiment and evaluating it and analyzing it. It kind of, uh, you kind of, any emotional attachment kind of dissolves, honestly. Okay. It's, it's, it's impossible not to root for Embiid, and it's impossible not to want to watch Ben Simmons every night. Right. But do I find myself caring if they win any game at all? No. Okay. I really, we'll see, we'll see how I feel come the playoffs. But, I mean, it's no secret I grew up in Philly and I was a big fan as a kid. But, like, do, do when have- they drafted... When they drafted him in 2015, I was sitting next to Jake Pavorsky, he of former Liberty Ballers fame, and uh, he freaked out when they picked Okafor. He was really upset, and I just shrugged and I go, "Huh, eh, best player available." Right. So I think I think that kind of sums up uh, my thoughts. All right. Well, we we could talk about this for two hours. So obviously, let's continue the conversation. But I totally get what you're saying. Where as a Sixers fan, and even if I was a fan of the NBA, I have actual colleagues who say the same thing. Who I want, you know, I want to see when the Sixers are playing to watch NBA, to watch Simmons. Kevin McHale said it the other night, um, following the Lakers game. So everyone is interested in what this team is doing. Um, but yeah, let's. I mean, let's, they might, they might, they might have two top twenty players in the NBA. That's a, that's a, that's a incredible I, I wouldn't draw. say, I wouldn't say Rashawn is top twenty, but he's incredible. <laughs> he's a great guy. He's got great hair. He's Anyway, so Jake, thank you for joining us. His, his wife does his hair before every game. Yeah, she is a, um, a stylist, right? I don't know if that's her profession, but I do know that she's the she is the mastermind behind his looks. Cool, cool, cool. Does she do TJ as well? He's got a sick dude. Uh, I don't. I cannot confirm that. Okay. Well, all right. So you see if you can get confirmation on that. Uh, I will try to think through and process why you're no longer a Sixers fan, even though you gave a, a brief explanation. And uh, we'd love to have you back sometime in the future. So thank you, Jake, for joining. Thanks for having me.
All right, have a good night. This has been the Sixers GM Podcast. I'm Josh Mosco, joined tonight with Jake Fisher, and we will see you guys in two weeks. Take care.